I think God is like nature. It takes time. Things take time. Mountains come over time. Trees grow slowly. Trees give us breath. They actually breathe out what we breathe in. And then they give us life because they fall in the forest and more trees grow and more animals eat from that tree. It's a slow, beautiful, perfect process. And I think if you're lucky enough early in sobriety to have some awareness that you may want to be a little bit different than you are, trust the awareness. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Howdy, 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 y'all. From deep in the heart of Texas, that was the voice of Mr. Matthew M. that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you will be hearing so much more from him in just a moment on this episode number 158 of Sober Speak, and Matthew's going to be covering uh, surrenders four, five, six, and seven. But first things first, this episode right here, right now is brought to you by Barry and Terry. Hey, that rhymes. Barry and Terry and Todd and Kurt. Do you know what Barry and Terry and Todd and Kurt did? Well, let me Fill you in. Well, they went to our website, soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab in the top right corner of the website and they made a contribution. Thank you so much, Barry and Terry and Todd and Kurt. This episode is coming right out to Ewan's. I, John M will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings. And I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat around this virtual table, if you will, and let's get started. Bienvenidos. Welcome. We are glad you are here. If you are not a member of the Super Secret Facebook group and you would like to be, send me your email associated with your Facebook account to John, J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com and we will get you hooked up with that group. An invite comes out and, and you get to come on in. And 
And people have asked me before, you know, do you have to be an Alcoholics Anonymous and stuff like that in order to be in it? And the answer is no. If you want to be in there, just come on in. We would love to have you in. There are amazing like-minded friends of Bill W., Al-Anon, and other other 12-step programs in the group, and we would love to have you in there as well. Yes. Yeah? I'm talking to you. Yeah. Right here, right now, I'm talking to you. If you're not following us on Instagram, we are at at sober speak all one word and we would love to have you follow us there as well so first things first i'm going to play a little ditty in a classical kind of way that is first things first listen to this real quick isn't that cool that comes from a listener named Kamal and a gent named Robert Lefevre across the pond that sent in not only that slogan, First Things First, and many other slogans, and I'm so appreciative of them for sending that in, and I hope that you all out there get something from it, and maybe that little First Things First will be kind of rolling around your head throughout the days. Well, I have something to share with you. You say, what, John M.? What? Would you like to share with us? Well, stand back. It's a special announcement. We, yes, we will be having another big shindig. You know what I'm saying when I say a big shindig? We're going to have another Sober Speak live event for all of you. And when, John M., will that live event be taking place? Well, that will be taking place on December Fourth, with guess who? Mr. Gary Kay, a standout, a fan favorite here on Sober Speak. So we'll be having more information about that later, but I just wanted you to get that on your calendar. That will be 7 p.m. Central Time here in the United States of America, not Eastern Time, not Pacific Time, not Mountain Time, and not European Time, whatever you guys do over in Europe. Uh, But it will be Central Time. And I know we have a lot of folks who join us actually from Australia and New Zealand. And I believe they're generally getting up around 10 o'clock in the morning or something like that to join us. But nonetheless, we are so looking forward to it. Uh, Get that on your calendar and we will have more announcements about that coming out. I'll send out an email once again if you're not on my email list. Send me your email to John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com and we will get you on that list. I was thinking this week, and oh, by the way, three words you never want to hear an alcoholic say is, I've been thinking. (laughs) But that said, just bear with me here. So my thought process was, and by the way, I was thinking this during a meeting when a a particular topic came up, and I thought about how my thought process for so long, uh, before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, even in early sobriety, and also today, uh, this will creep in as well. But my thought process kind of goes like this, and see if you can relate to this. I will think sometimes, if only... I did not have these problems. These problems right here in my personal little world, everything would be okay. But that's a lie. It's not about the so-called, air quotes, problems and issues, unquote, that I have in life. It's how I react to them. 
and, and I have an example of this. I had a dear couple that were like second parents to me in, in sobriety, uh, even, even before I got sober. Uh, their names were Mr. and Mrs. Duncan. I think you've heard me talk about them on this podcast before. And um, they have now concluded their human, human experience on this earth. But I do remember that when I first got sober, especially going over to their house and I would be talking to them and they would be counseling me and I would be crying on their couch and telling them about all the issues I had. And I used to think, I wouldn't say this out loud to them, but I would think, you know, why, why God didn't I get all the lucky breaks that they got in their life? Why do I have this black cloud that is hanging over me that I just can't shake? I I just need a break. And the truth was, the truth was, is that they, Mr. and Mr. and Mrs. Duncan, had experienced all kinds of challenges in their life. But here's the difference. They had handled those issues with grace and dignity. I had no idea how to handle those situations. And so I started thinking about it. I thought, okay, so so let's just say in early sobriety, that somebody had come in and, and or, or even before I got sober, Someone had come in and waved this magic wand and said, there, all of your problems are now swept away. You don't have legal problems. You don't have relationship issues. Uh, the job's straightened out. Uh, health issues disappeared. Everything's gone. Well, for me, in my little world, in my little pea brain, I'm convinced that if you swept away all those problems, well, all of those problems would be back in short order. In other words, they would have different characters and different places, but I would have the same set of issues that would be present because I don't, because I didn't have any tools, any spiritual tools, that is, to deal with any of these issues that I have in my life. You ever see those documentaries about people who, who win the lottery? And within a short while, their lives are exactly, they're back where they started. Uh, and where money is concerned, they're, they're perhaps worse off sometimes and, and less happy. So for some, and, 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 and I realize that this is a generalization, for some, not all, but the, the issue was never, quote, enough money. The issue was being disciplined enough with the money that they had that they had, in my humble opinion, that God had granted them in the first place. It's the same with me and my problems. My job is to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools that God has granted me and utilize them at the right time in the right way. Sometimes I have success in that arena. Other times I fall flat on my face. But that is why I'm assuming like you, I am a work in progress and I keep coming back. Now we're on to Matthew M. Surrenders 4, 5, 6, and 7. Matthew has been sober since May 16th of 1993. By the way, last week, if you didn't get to hear it, we did Surrenders 1, 2, and 3. And if you haven't listened to that, do yourself a favor. Go back and listen to that episode. It was absolutely amazing. And I, I talked about this a little week, but uh, a little bit last week, but Matthew, uh, as opposed to uh, referring to the steps as steps, he will do workshops and he refers to the steps as surrenders because 
when we go through each step, we are surrendering more and more and more to this God of our understanding. So we are calling this series, The 12 Surrenders. Uh, and in this particular episode, Matthew is going to address surrenders four, five, six, and seven. One of my favorite quotes from Matthew during this is, there is a chasm between who I am and who I want to project to you that I am. I love that. As we did in one of Matthew's previous episodes, we're going to talk about Rotten Ron. I always like hearing about Rotten Ron. Uh, we also talk and hear about a Hindu conception of God being uh, that Matthew references, and the, the, the conception is the timeless plentitude of being. We talk about the concept of awareness prior to action and what that means we address the seven deadly sins, and I also love it when Matt, Matthew says in this episode, he goes, sometimes I need to put my ego on a diet. <laughs> I can relate to that, Matthew. So buckle up, enjoy the ride. We will have plenty, plenty Oh, listener feedback at the end of Matthew's episode. And we're also going to be uh, putting a little bit more of Jacob's music on the tail end of this episode for your listening pleasure. Enjoy, Matthew M. Okay, everybody. So we are back again with Mr. Matthew M. So Matthew M., I'm going to have you go ahead and introduce yourself again. Give your sobriety date, if you would, and tell people where you are in this great land of ours. Hi, uh, John. Nice to see you again. My name is Matthew M. I live in Santa Paula, California, which is above uh, Ventura Beach near Ojai. And my uh, sobriety date is May 16th, 1993. All right. So let's go ahead and reset here. Then the last time that we got together, we were talking about uh, what you refer to as the 12 surrenders. And so let's go ahead and set that up again. The reason that you refer uh, to is basically the steps, right? You're referring right. to them as the 12 surrenders and you do a workshop that addresses the 12 surrenders. And why don't you go ahead and remind folks uh, kind of where the genesis of that came from and why you like to do those. Right. Thanks, John. So actually I do uh, men's retreats is where I sort of started doing this. And, you know, as we talked about in the last podcast is, you know, the, the sort of the way the steps grow and change in my mind over time is, when you're brand new, you're kind of doing them out of desperation. They don't make much sense. They're, uh, they don't seem related to my problems. Now, after 27 years of staying very involved with them, I see them as these beautiful, elegant exercises. And I, I refer to them as relief from the bondage of self. And because of the way I've, I've absorbed the literature is that, you know, the problem is in our mind, selfishness and self-centeredness. That is the root of our problems. So I look at these steps as surrendering little ways I'm holding, being stuck in the bondage of self, if that makes sense. It does. And and I want to tell you, you know, Matthew, this is just more personal, if you will. Uh, I, I work with a lot of the various uh, uh, speakers, as you know, uh, including Bill C., who I absolutely love. And uh, you're just one of the the good guys. You're really easy to work with. You're a great guy. Thank you know, you. like on, on the last uh, podcast, you were very, on the last episode, I should say, you were 
very vulnerable about you and your wife and the stroke that she has. And, you know, you're, you're like me. I, I have a tendency to be an emotional guy. You know, you can wear your heart on your sleeve, but that, that is why I get so much feedback on you because that those sorts of things come through in spades on uh, audio like this. And I appreciate your sincerity and your vulnerability. You're just a good guy, my friend. <laughs> well, thanks, John. I appreciate that. I, I long ago realized it would be useless for me to do this work if I wasn't totally honest. I do know how to keep my act together. I do work in a Fortune 500 company. But when, <laughs> when it comes to talking about this stuff, I can't really talk about it without kind of reliving it. So, uh, but I feel it's necessary. I owe a great debt. Yeah, I work for a big company myself, and I always say that uh, I can't go onto the conference calls and people go, how are you doing today? Well, I'm feeling a little selfish, dishonest, resentful, and afraid. <laughs> right, how are exactly. you guys, you know? <laughs> All right, so uh, where we left off last time was at surrender number three. And we talked about that at length, the conceptual part of it. You gave some great examples of how that has actually played out in your life. Now we're going to go on to surrender number four. And just in case you haven't heard the last episode yet, and you're wondering why I'm saying surrender number four is because like, uh, like Matthew says, he does workshops on what he calls the 12 surrenders. And uh, it's basically a, a euphemism for uh, the 12 steps. And now we're at uh, or surrender number four. So explain to me how you see surrender number four. All right, great. So yeah, in the, the step itself is made a searchal, searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. So fearless, uh, I think, brings in sort of the surrender aspect is, again, like I tried to phrase this earlier, the idea is that every step kind of asks us to do something we don't want to do. It invites us to grow a little bit. And in my experience, both helping others with this program and in my own uh, needing the steps as much today as I needed them in 1993, is that what it helps me with is to get out of the bondage of self. And step four is, I mean, clearly kind of is a place where if I do it, even as well as I can do it when I'm new, which probably isn't going to be that great. My grand sponsor, JS, says it's sort of the greatest hits when you do a four-step when you're new. It's like this big stuff in your head that you don't want to you know, tell anyone, that kind of stuff. And, and for me, writing down an inventory and really spelling out who I am is a surrender. And there's a couple of reasons why, personally, I think that. One is that again, as I've come to understand these steps and how they've worked in my life is there's a great distance when I come to AA between what I want you to believe about me and you being everyone else on earth and who I truly am. There's a huge chasm between those two things, who I am and what I'm trying to project. And it reminds me of a, a phrase that I love from Anthony DeMello, who is a spiritual writer. Uh, and he wrote, uh, a line that I'll never forget. He said, loneliness is not dispelled through contact with other people. Loneliness is dispelled through contact with the truth. And I think that step four and step five and the surrender that you make in those steps is really about that. Like if I write down on a piece of paper, everything that is 
uh, I'm holding inside the inventory of my deep, dark, ugly self is how I would put it, because I felt pretty dirty on the inside when I came here. And then if I do the next step and I actually read it to somebody, that's a couple of big surrenders. But it also completely destroys the distance between who I am and who I'm trying to get the world to believe. It might be the first time ever that I'm actually seeing who I really am. I, I sometimes am trying trying to believe what I want you to believe about me. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've sponsored, including my own experience where I said, well, I'm a pretty nice guy. This won't be that bad. And then you write it down and you go, well, I'm actually not that nice of a guy. <laughs> right? <laughs> Based on my actions, I'm not. So, uh, so I think that that surrender when it comes to step four, standing on its own is I'm surrendering the, the lie about myself. I'm surrendering the lies about myself. I love that. And how did you put that again? I, you said there's a chasm between who I am and who I want the world to believe that I am. Yeah. There's a big, big space there. Right. And how we want others to perceive us. I, right. I, I love that. Okay. So, um, made a searching of fearless moral inventory. Now, aren't you glad that when we first come into the rooms, they said, uh, as opposed to, uh, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. They didn't say the only requirement member for membership is that we make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves <laughs> yes. and then admit to God to serve ourselves in another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. I mean, and, and I like you and you said actually in the, the previous episode that we we're on, which I absolutely loved, you said that basically what we do in AA is when we're sponsoring people, we're going to say, okay, basically we want you to start doing things and you're not going to like doing them at all. <laughs> right. And then we're going to ask you to do more things that you don't like doing at all. And it right. is counterintuitive. You're like, why are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's step four. Do you want to say anything else? Or yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that. What you just said. So when I, before I got sober and I'm guessing that for many of your listeners, this is true. I had many, many opportunities to make a decision, right? Early on in my, in my alcoholism, the slow, ugly progression of my alcoholism, where maybe it wasn't so obvious, I would think, hey, if I go out like I played in a band and I got kicked out of a band, it was a good job. And hey, if I go off with these people again tonight, probably going to end up going south. I may not make it back for the bus to go to the next city. <clears throat> I should just go with the guys, have a good evening. But I would make that decision, choose pleasure, not, you know, and then my discomfort with myself would grow, right? So I'd be off somewhere, getting in trouble, and my discomfort, my inner discomfort grow. And that's where that chasm starts to take shape, right? Like I'm privately making the bad decision time after time after time, choosing pleasure and fun over sensibility and rationality, and I'm paying the price. And you can't really tell somebody that. That's crazy. You know, we talked about insanity. So that chasm grows pretty steadily. In AA, I'm asked to do the things we just talked about. I was saying that the literature will say, hey, we're going to ask you to do something and you really, really don't want to do it. And we're going to convince you for the next chapter why you should. Right. And I'm uncomfortable, right? I don't want to do that uncomfortable thing. But the difference between that discomfort and the discomfort of choosing pleasure that grows is when you overcome this tiny discomforts that the surrenders ask of us, your comfort with yourself grows. It reminds me of a girl I used to uh, see a lot in the hospital, Claire. She had cystic fibrosis. 
and I visited her for a long time. She was in the hospital a lot as a child. She passed away two years ago last week um, at 22 years old, I think, or 21. But I remember walking in on Claire once. She was about three and a half, maybe four. And she was standing on a bed and a nurse had a hypodermic needle and Claire had this little Wendy like white nightgown in her. And she was standing up so she'd be level with the nurse with her arm and she had her sleeve rolled up and the nurse had the hypodermic in her hand. And I walked in the hospital room and Claire had her eyes closed and she was saying, the anticipation is the hardest part. The anticipation is the hardest part. And the nurse said, Claire, I already gave you the shot. (laughs) (laughs) And whenever I think of a fourth and fifth step, when I'm sponsoring somebody, they just don't want to do it. And you got, I just have news for anybody on the line who hasn't done a four step. Really, the anticipation is what's hurting you. It's not the actual writing of the four step. That's not that hard at all. So, uh, so yeah, the, I think we'll bridge into five. But yeah, the fourth, the, the first part is that surrender. Like, I'm going to have to write this stuff down. And, and one more thing, I think it's brilliant that Bill started resent, like, how does an alcoholic do an inventory? He writes down people that he's mad at. (laughs) I think the the resentment beginning is so good because everybody's a little blamey when they get here. And and it's a great way to get people to start writing. And and like you said, uh, there are so many people, they, they anticipate what they think it's going to be like. I've never had anybody say to me, you know, I really, really regret writing all that stuff down. <laughs> right, <I know. laughs> but there are tons of people who say, you know what, I, I'm glad I wrote it down. I'm glad I got it off my chest, you know, going into the fifth step and stuff like that. And, 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 I, and while we're here, I, I just want to talk about surrender number four a little bit. And, right. and you know, there's the, the resentments, the fears, and then the sex. Do you, do you go, uh, and you know, if people don't know what we're talking about here that's why you need a sponsor and you know, <laughs> you need that. Right. Uh, but there is pieces in the books where you have that and then you have the fourth column and such do you do do you is that how you take guys through it with the yeah with those three parts i do and i've been trying to make sure i ground everything in in my experience and my sponsor the first sponsor i had for the first few years of sobriety he actually gave me a notebook he drew a line down the middle of the left page and a line down the middle of the right he wrote the headings you know name of the person uh, what happened, What how he wrote how it made me feel, but we write affects my fourth column was my faults and mistakes. I second guessed the whole thing. I was raised Irish Catholic. I turned the page and wrote a general confession about 10 pages long. I went to him to do a fifth step. I read all 10 pages. I was crying. Snot was coming out of my nose. I was telling them my deepest, darkest secrets. At, when it was over, he said, wow, that was amazing, man. It sure wasn't a fifth step. But whatever it was, was (laughs) (laughs) and he said, what happened to the columns? And I said, well, I knew what you wanted. And he goes, I showed him the columns that were completely unscathed. They had none of my writing on them. (laughs) And he said, right now, write down somebody you're resentful against on the left-hand side. And I wrote his name because he was making me do it over again. (laughs) That's a true story. And, uh, And I found great benefit in that. Now, in the 12 and 12, I just have recently read them a number of times with people I'm taking through the steps. And Bill is much more philosophical. He's about the seven deadly sins and what are your character defects. He talks about all that in the fourth and fifth and the 12 and 12. I find the pattern and the template very helpful to get people going. Also, um, I think, like I said, that being able to write write down in a 
somebody you're mad at or resentful towards or feel slighted by. And also it's funny. I mean, how many of us, I did this, came to our sponsors and said, I just really don't know how to write a four-step. And I had an old timer, his name was Rotten Ron, and he always had a toothpick in his mouth. And he said, I can understand your confusion, son. It's the only step in the book with a written example. (laughs) (laughs) What is your problem? It shows you exactly how to do it. (laughs) Rotten Ron. I love the names that we give each other in (laughs) AA. Some of them uh, I've heard, you know, people talk about these are not, I guess what you would call politically correct anymore, but you know, we, uh, but you know, that's just, it's how we talk to each other. Some of them even now. And they're usually names that people give themselves. uh, (laughs) He used to say, he took him 10 years to get a year. And he said, you guys used to throw me out of AA meetings right under the sign that said, we care. (laughs) 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 And Rotten Ron has passed on, but I'm sure he'd be glad we were talking about him. (laughs) All right, let me go ahead. That's a good place to take a break here. We will be continuing our conversation with Matthew M. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.soberspeak.com. And there you can find approximately uh, 150 or other so 150 or so other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. SoberSpeak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Mr. Matthew M. All right, so we... So we talked about surrender number four. Uh, let's go on to surrender number five here and see where that takes us. And surrender number five obviously is admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being. Can you imagine doing this? I know. The exact nature of our wrongs. What are your thoughts? Well, so I love how they slipped that in there. Did you see what, what Bill did? He said, made a searching and fearless moral inventory, right? But then he calls it, the exact nature of our wrongs. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's already changed the game, a little bait and switch. But again, the key word, the first word is admitted. So it is a surrender. I have now taken the time to write down as best as I can with a, a mu- as much honesty as I'm able to muster in early sobriety, a moral inventory. And just a little shout out to uh, one of my friends. <clears throat> uh, God, his name is... His name is eluding me. I'll think of his name, but he used to say he's passed away too, but he used to say, you know, when you're new, you write your four step and you write down, I stole some rope. And he goes, when you're five years sober and you do another four step, you write, oh yeah, there were a bunch of horses attached to it. (laughs) (laughs) So the the fog clears. Uh, Rocky, that was his name, Rocky Alcoholic. He, uh, He was big in my early sobriety. But I admitted to God, right? So I wrote this thing down. I'm admitting to the thing that I turned my will and my life over to the care of. Now, you know, again, I, I my my best description I can think of for God comes from a Hindu text on Advaita Hinduism, and it's the timeless plentitude of being. 
And when I think of all of the ways that fear has been dispelled through me by having experiences where I did find the resources I needed to match the problems, the challenges of the present moment, when I think I'm admitting to God, I'm really just admitting to the thing that already knows, honestly, who I am. And the thing that I love about the timeless plentitude of being and many of the ways you people in AA have shared your God with me is that God is always loving and kind and accepting. And I'm a parent. And I had a guy come to me once in a meeting, much older man than me. And he said, I cheated on my beautiful wife. My beautiful wife left me. I'm sober for a little while, but how can I ever forgive myself? How can I ever forgive myself for doing such a horrible thing? And I said, do you have children? And he said, Yes, I do. And they were grown adults. And I said, is there anything they could possibly do that you wouldn't still love them for and forgive them for? And he goes, not a thing. And I said, so is your God, God, the father? And he said, yes. Now, do you think he can't forgive you for something as human as as being in, unfaithful to your wife? And, and I think that that's why the language of the way we talk about God is so important. I have a degree in religious studies that I got by accident. I was going after a, a, a English degree and I just took too, so many religious studies classes that I got a minor. Um, but I, all the faiths, all the ways we try to, tr to translate what this amazing power is, has some sort of form of that acceptance and love. So when I say admitted to God, for me, it's just like, it's like I'm standing inside of a, of a curtain and God can see in it all along. And I drop the curtain. And the only thing, the only thing that's not surprised by my candor is God because <laughs> God knew all along, but then to ourselves and to another human being, that's really important. Right. And uh, I had a friend that I, I love very dearly. Uh, his name is Mike and he's a born again Christian. And he was sponsoring a guy who couldn't stay sober. And he was a born again Christian. And the guy said, hey, I don't really need to read you my fifth step because I admitted it to myself and to God. And I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and God is, it was, is enough and that will take care of me. And Mike, who also has the equal faith in the same, same religion said, how did that work out for you? <laughs> Just right, tell right. God about it. Right. And, and I think that's the beauty of AA. It's like, this is practical. I don't know any sponsor that can't wait to hear your transgressions. I find fifth steps very challenging. They can go long and deep. Um, I want to really pay attention and be present. Uh, you know, I am selfish by nature. Sometimes these things take hours. We really want to do it for another human being so that we see how human we are. And, and in my case, I had really good sponsorship. Now, I've had a couple of sponsors. Now, I didn't like go shopping for sponsors. One relationship ended naturally and I picked up another relationship. But when I started with a new sponsor 20 something years ago, uh, he said, I wanted to, you to do a fifth step with me. And I said, why? I just did one, you know, less than a year ago. And he said, well, because I'm going to work with you and I want to know your modus operandi. I want to know how you think and how you do things so that when you're talking to me about your daily life, I have sort of the, the Matthew handbook, if you will. <laughs> so I, what was interesting about that experience was I, I, when I had done my first four step, there was always the sort of secret dot, dot, dot. I was loaded, you know, like, yes, I did these horrendous, selfish things. I was abusive to a woman that I was dating. I was I lied all the time. I, I did things that I had real hard time admitting back then. But, you know, the understanding was, oh, isn't that crazy? I was drunk, you know. But when you do it two years into recovery and suddenly you're seeing the horses attached to the rope mm -hmm. and you're and you're also saying what you've done since you got sober. Then 
that's a little bit harder to cop to. It's like, I still do some of these habits. One of the things my sponsor at that time, when I did my fifth step, so he would know me pointed out is he would look at, I would read to him several resentments and he would say, Hey, just hold up just a second. He said, part of the idea here is we're going to get at your character defects. And he said, do you see how you lie to these women here so that they'll sleep with you or fall in love with you? And then you don't respect them a little bit later because they are in love with somebody that doesn't exist. <laughs> and man, that's something you can't unhear. You can't unring that bell. You know, it's once you right. know that. And I hadn't really seen that. But when I wrote down why I was resentful at these women, then I wrote down uh, how it affected me. Then I wrote down my faults and mistakes. It was glaring there. But I wrote that and I didn't notice it. So when I read it to another human being who simply had the advantage of being an objective observer, he pointed that out to me. And that made six and seven much more of a real surrender. So I'll get back to that. So, so six and seven. All right. So that's a good little uh, segue there. Right. So, okay. The fifth step, uh, talking to another human being, like you said, it's uh got to do it out loud, right? You got to do it with somebody. Uh, So then we go in. So now you have this list written out in front of you. You've talked about these things with somebody. You've talked about your, your, your fear, your, your sex slash relationship life. You've talked about your resentments. Uh, Somebody is being uh, an observer of what you're telling them and they can give you good feedback. And now you have a good idea of what your, character defects uh, and shortcomings are all about. And now do you do the bit where you kind of say to somebody, okay, now go home and be quiet for an hour and all that sort of stuff. And explain to people that's, that's in the big book and talk about that. Yeah. So it says in the big book, after you've done your fifth step, now you go find some place to be quiet and review all of the work you've done on the steps in the past. And John, I want to be super clear to your audience over the 27 years, I have not devised my own program. I very much believe that the literature should be stuck to. I did, you know, probably seven years sober when I knew more than Bill and Bob, you know, that era when you know more than them, (laughs) when you're seven or eight years sober, I did give, insert a lot of my opinions into the steps. What I'm, what I try to do is follow the workbook, which is the, the big book, sometimes supplement it with the supplement book, which is the 12 and 12, but yeah, going on and, and, and spending some time alone and quiet and reviewing whether I've done the steps completely and then doing a seven step. Now, I would like to take a minute to point out that another thing that's obvious over time when you work the steps is that Bill really values and the uh, early alcoholics really valued and saw the benefit of awareness, awareness before action. So for instance, the first step is I admitted I'm powerless and life is on my life's unmanageable. The second step is I came to believe. I had a new awareness over time. And then the third step is now that I've gotten that awareness, I'm going to turn my will in my life over. The the sixth step is we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And that is a step. It is not a separate thing, right? So I'll give two examples. One is when I was told that by my sponsor, you lie to women so they'll fall in love with you. Then you don't respect women because they love someone that doesn't exist. Um, 
I, 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 that was true. I could not deny that. Another thing he said is it seems to me based on this fifth step that you work very hard to get a job. And then when you get the job, you don't work hard at all. And then you resent your employer for punishing you. <laughs> and that was true. And again, I would not have realized that by just writing it. I had to read it. But the sixth step was we were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. So when I left his house that day, I had some fear. Like, what am I going to be if I'm not these, this combination of ways I live? Will I ever have sex again? Will I ever have a relationship? Uh, what should I do? Should I just go for jobs that are more less thinking and more doing? I mean, it was, I was really uh, stricken a little bit by having my character defects so, so laid out in front of me. I will, the caveat is my sponsor said, I'm like that too. Let me tell you some of my own experience. And, and that actually is in the literature. Your sponsor may offer some uh, help there. So having done that, I'm sitting there thinking about it. What am I going to be like if I'm not these things? And that may have been for me in early sobriety, my first actual surrender right? Because I'm like, what am I going to be? My actual, my first actual like spiritual act where I went, okay, I'm going to, I trust that whatever is animating all of this is going to take care of this and my life will be better. I'm not sure how that's going to be. I'm not sure how that's going to look. If I'm not these things, what will I be like? But I had to go through that that series of, of realizing what my character defects and become willing. They also do this in the eighth step. Eighth step is you made a list of people you harmed and became willing. Then you do the ninth step. And the reason I'm kind of making a big deal out of this is I, I, I want people who are listening to realize awareness is the first step of any change. It sometimes can cause a little bit of wariness because you'll say, man, like for instance, my wife has brain damage, right? I'm a really good arguer. <clears throat> I, I line up all of my facts and my, my, my case and I bring it on. And I have been married to my wife for 24 years. We've been together 25 years. And I have won many arguments with the brain damaged woman of my dreams. And I feel like a fool when I do it. Now, I became aware fairly early on that I didn't like winning arguments with my wife when I would see her face get a little dark and her eyes cast down a little bit, and I knew she got the point or that she was giving up the fight, I would think, God dang it, man. Why did I just do that? Why would I do that to her? I could have very easily, calmly and quietly and lovingly described what I was trying to tell her. So I became aware that I did something that always ended badly, and hurt somebody that I loved. And about six or seven years later, I stopped doing it. <laughs> it takes a while. Awareness is the beginning. I was aware early in sobriety that I wanted to meditate every day. I, I've been meditating every day for 15 years. I am 27 years sober. So mm -hmm. please do not devalue awareness just because you're not living up to your awareness. I think God is like nature. It takes time. Things take time. Mountains come over time. Trees grow slowly. Trees give us breath. They actually breathe out what we breathe in. And then they give us life because they fall in the forest and more trees grow and more animals eat from that tree. It's a slow 
beautiful, perfect process. And I think if you're lucky enough early in sobriety to have some awareness that you may want to be a little bit different than you are, trust the awareness. I had a guy when it came to the sixth step, we were in the middle of reading it and he said, I'm not giving up porn. <laughs> and, and I burst out <laughs> laughing and I said, I'm sorry, did I just read where it says we have to give up porn? And he, said, <laughs> he said, I can see where this is going. And, and I said, what we're really trying to say is, can you imagine living in such a way where maybe you don't need that anymore? And that's all we're asking from you in this step. And real quickly, before we go to seven, or if we do, I think we have a little time. The sixth step, he talks, Bill talks about the seven deadly sins, right? He actually talks about it in the fifth step too. I have a note in here for some reason in my 12 and 12, and I just want to share it with you. I have no idea why I wrote it in here or when I wrote it, but it says, if I'm making a big deal out of anything, I'm making a big deal out of me. And when I started this podcast in the last episode, I was talking about the bondage of self, right? And the bondage of self is fear-based a lot of the time, but it's egoic, right? And if I'm making a big deal out of anything, I'm making a big deal out of me. And that probably will lead me to some of my character defects. But I want to do a shout out for the seven deadly sins because I was raised in a church that took a really beautiful thing that was discovered by a guy named Evagoras Ponticus, who was a desert father. He was an early Christian or first century Christian group. And, and he meditated in the desert. And if a lot of you people on this call have been working the steps at Alcoholics Anonymous for a while, you know what it feels like to be connected to a higher power. You may have trouble with how you want to translate that. You might have trouble with the word God. But as Scott R. used to say, don't worry about the God, God thing. Do the 12 steps and you will be contacted. Right? <laughs> but, but I love that because you know, whatever that feeling is of like kind of being in the rhythm of nature, kind of having love, it'd be sort of your go-to place, a little bit more compassion. Like if you're experiencing that and then you know what it's like when you're not experiencing it, you're like, huh, I feel a little far away from that. And I've, I've had that experience in my recovery frequently. Well, Evagoras Ponticus, he felt that too, you know, 2000 years ago and he meditated on it and he meditated, when do I not feel like that? And he wrote down seven different circumstances when he didn't feel connected to God. He said, when I'm lustful, I don't feel close to God. When I'm greedy, I don't feel close to God. When I'm gluttonous, I don't feel close to God. And I think that's so beautiful and so much better than the seven deadly sins. <laughs> and I really was so I discovered that through some research I did about 15 years ago, uh, in a book called, uh, it started with a book called The Spirituality of, in, of Imperfection by Kurtz. And it was in a footnote, a book that led me to Evagoras Ponticus. But the reason I bring that up is because when you talk about the surrender of step six is it's really the surrender of your modus operandi. Like when I go to these things, I'm far from God. I do want to make a plug to Sandy Beach before I turn that John asked me another question. He pointed out that those seven deadly sins, lust, avarice, uh, gluttony, fear, anger. He said, when those things come up, they're really just ways I am no longer in the present moment. If I'm being mm. greedy, I'm really thinking of my future and having not, I don't have enough. I need more than you've got. I need to take yours. If I'm being lustful, I'm no longer sitting, enjoying someone. I'm planning on satisfying myself with them if I can convince them some way to do that with me. It takes me out of the present moment. And the, the, the 
he said, you know, there's a few things that will put you in the present moment. Gratitude is one of those things. Enthusiasm is one of those things. Enthusiasm means uh, it actually comes from enthus, which is the Greek, which means filled with the spirit. So when I am living my life and not thinking and not in the bondage of self, I very rarely even see my character defects. But in step seven, it says in the 12 and 12, the chief activator of my character defects is fear. So I'm going to stop there and turn it over to you, John, to ask another question if you want to. Sure. So, well, let's go ahead and wrap it up there with uh, step seven. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, what are your, I mean, we've talked a little bit about, you know, character defects and, you know, humility and such like that, but let's talk about step seven. Let's kind of wrap it up. All right. So step seven, you just brought up the key word, right? Humbly, humbly ask God to remove our character defects. It doesn't even say we, it just says humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings, right? So again, I love this. We had all this awareness around what they are. Um, and now we're humbly asking him. I want to point out, it doesn't really say we worked on our character defects, right? Um, I got handed a prayer book for ministers um, early in recovery by a girl I I liked. Um, and she just said that my dad gave me this book. I think it's a good book. And there was a sentence in there that said, uh, trying to change your character through force of will it's like trying to fly by repeatedly leaping into the air. <laughs> you just are not going to be able to do it. And and I have found in my life, growing up in the church that I was raised in as a you know, Catholic schoolboy and uh, Irish Catholic families, I always felt like I should be better. I should be more compassionate. I should be less selfish. I, you know, I I just need to change. I need to change. I need to make myself better. And the nuns certainly had a role in reinforcing that I was not good the way I was <laughs> and that I needed to change. And <laughs> what I love about these steps is humbly. The whole rest of that chapter in, in the 12 and 12 talks about humility. And one of my favorite lines, and I, I don't know if I can find it, but I can recite it. He said, where we used to look at humility as a force. Uh, oh, here it is. Where humility had formerly stood for forced feeding on humble pie. It now begins to mean the nourishing ingredient, which can give us serenity. Mm. I think that's just poetry. And, and I wrote before at the end of the fifth step, whenever I'm making a big deal out of anything, I'm making a big deal out of me. That's the opposite of humility, right? In fact, my wife and I were joking the other day, we're, we're gaining a little weight in COVID. And we were joking about maybe putting ourselves on a diet. And I said, you know, I really think I need to put my ego on a diet. <laughs> yeah, you do. And we were talking about, you know, the political climate and I have my opinions and everybody has their opinions. And I'm not effectual sitting in my apartment or my house now and, and thinking that. But lately I've been thinking whenever I have those those really uh, self-righteous thoughts, I thought, oh, oh. I'm putting my ego on a diet. I'm not allowed to eat that thought today. <laughs> I got to let that go. So the humility of step seven is I'm humbly asking. And, and what Bill says in the literature and what they, we've learned and I've seen is like just keeping yourself in that space of willingness. You know, like I said, when I started all this a couple episodes ago, I didn't want to drink anymore. And I kept doing it. I find that's true with a lot of my character defects. I don't want to exercise them anymore, but I keep doing it. And there is a uh, philosopher, Hugh Ning. I want to um, read this quote, and maybe we can end on this. 
Huning, uh, so this is not new, this whole idea about character defects. And, and, you know, a friend of mine said, when I exercise my character defects, I draw, I push people away from me. When I cop to my character defects, I draw people near me. And um, Hu Ning was a, a Chinese philosopher in uh, 638 uh, uh, AD. And he said, by amending our mistakes, we get wisdom. By defending our faults, we betray an unsound mind. And I think that that's what, if I'm going to talk about relief from the bondage of self, what the seven step does for me is my character defects will keep coming up and my awareness is growing. I am awake now. And the seven step keeps me humble enough to know that I am powerless and my life is unmanageable. And that if I'm not really living a third step, I'm not really in surrender. And when I'm in surrender, I get a partake of the grace that is around me always. But when I'm in the bondage of self, that grace is equally available, but I'm not available for it. Will you read that quote again? Yes. I would love to hear it again. By amending our mistakes, we get wisdom. By defending our faults, we betray an unsound mind. Very nice. Oh, I love it. Matthew, I know you have a hard stop. You have a busy day. Uh, that's probably a good place to wrap this up. Uh, and we'll have to get back together some other time uh, and talk about the rest of the surrounding. I would love that. Yeah. Okay. All right, my friend, I'm going to read uh, from page 164 of the big book, as we always do. And it says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Matthew, mm -hmm. as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Mr. Matthew, thank you so much for your time and energy. My pleasure. Real fun being with you. Thank you again, Mr. Matthew M. So much appreciated. For those of you listening out there, we will be having Matthew back for the rest of the surrenders. Uh, well, I don't have anything scheduled right now, but we'll be sure to get him back. Uh, I, I, I just uh, enjoy spending time with Matthew so much. And I want to remember that quote again that he said at the end of this episode. And it says, by amending our mistakes, we get wisdom. I'm going to say it again. By amending our mistakes, we get wisdom. And then he also says, by defending our faults, we, be we betray an unsound mind. Absolutely, absolutely love it. Thank you, Matthew. All right, folks, we're going to head on into listener feedback now, and we will be playing a little music from Jacob on the back end of this episode. Uh, so stay tuned for that. It'll be coming in right after listener feedback. And I've had plenty of you asking for more of Jacob's music. Uh, so I'm going to put a link to his music in the show notes for those of you who want to access uh, Moss Musica de la Jacob. Uh, and also, please keep in mind that Jacob is in our secret Facebook group. It's how I discovered him. Uh, he's absolutely amazing. He posts uh, 
He, he posts music that he does every once in a while. And in fact, I would bring my family over here and I would say, hey, look at this guy. Look, I mean, he this guy is absolutely incredible. And so anyway, uh, if you want to see more of Jacob and you want to be in the secret Facebook groups, just send me your email uh, associated with your Facebook associated with your Facebook page to John johnjohnsoberspeak.com. In fact, the first bit of listener feedback is from Kathy. And I got several of these that I just wanted to highlight this one. Kathy wrote in and her title was Jacob, the, the subject line, I should say, was Jacob the singer. She says, hi, John, thanks for your podcast. You are a blessing and a godsend for all of us who tune in. Well, back at you, Kathy, you're a godsend to me. And she says, can you tell me if Jacob has other songs I can listen to? He is amazing. Thanks again for your time, gifts, and fellowship. In peace, Kathy. And I got her in touch with Jacob, and he was able to point her in the direct, right direction. And once again, like I said, I'll, I'll put that uh, w- one of those links in the show notes for you guys. And if I forget, just write me, okay? Sometimes <laughs> I forget about those links. Nonetheless, uh, Justin writes in. He says, hey, John, I'm a newcomer and a big fan of your podcast. Well, Justin, I'm a big fan of yours, my friend. And he says, I am able to listen to your interviews during work. Uh, and without it, and without a doubt, it brightens my day. I am quite fascinated by others' stories, especially those stories of recovery. Can you send me a link to the Facebook group? And I did that, Justin, as you know. And you know, Justin, I'm fascinated by their stories as well. <laughs> That's why I actually started this podcast. I completely get where you're coming from, my friend. As for me, Justin says, I'm 27 and I live in North Georgia uh, now, but I was born and raised in Sulphur Springs, Texas. That's where Mr. Gary Kay is from. He said, I received my bachelor's degree from Texas Tech University. I've enjoyed hearing about places and meetings on the podcast that I grew up near to. I have been in and out of recovery for several years now. My home group is is the Gainesville Classic here in Gainesville, Georgia. Gary Kay, there's Gary Kay, is probably my favorite guest on the podcast since he was the speaker at one of my first AA meetings I ever attended, exclamation point. Well, that's really cool, Justin. However, the guests I'm most interested in hearing their stories are, are are from people like me that struggled for some time before, quote, making it into long-term recovery, Justin J. Well, I try to bring a little bit of everything in here, Justin, you know, because some people come in and they stick and some people don't, as you know, and I'm one of those. I was three years in and out myself. Uh, so we try to give a little bit of a, a variety that everybody can relate to. Barry writes in and Barry says, hi, John, I listen frequently to the recovery show podcast. And just in case you all don't know what the recovery show is out there, it is my friend Spencer who does that podcast and it is a Al-Anon podcast. And if you, if you are so inclined that way, if you lean that way, I would definitely check it out. Even if you don't, I, I listen to Spencer all the time. I absolutely love his podcast, but nonetheless, I listen frequently to the recovery podcast and there 
Therefore, I got introduced to Sober Speak via Spencer, who I was just talking about. He says, I haven't gotten all the way through of the recovery shows. And for some reason, oh, I had not gotten all the way through all of the recovery shows. And for some reason, my phone kept defaulting to Sober Speak whenever the Bluetooth connected to the truck radio. I was annoyed. <laughs> But remember, but remember Spencer saying how helpful it was or is to listen to open talks from AA members. I figured God wanted me to listen to Sober Speak. So reluctantly, I started listening. And wouldn't you know it, episode 151 with Reno John uh, popped up. And I was listening to that. Man, was that what I needed just when I needed it. I can't thank you enough for what you were doing. God bless you you, and I trust God will put the right person in front of my loved one who still hasn't found the miracle of sobriety yet. Thanks, Barry. Well, <laughs> that's hilarious. I guess your truck and your Bluetooth and God wanted you to listen to Sober Speed. <laughs> so I'm I'm not glad you got annoyed, but I'm glad you got to listen to one or two of our episodes at least. I really appreciate it, Barry. Thank you. Casey writes in and she says, Hey, John, my name is Casey and I am an alcoholic. It's a Casey, a, a, a woman Casey, by the way, just in case you're wondering, just in case you need to have those pictures in your head. Uh, is it a man? Is it a woman? Uh, and I, I don't know, just in case you need that. So Casey wrote in and she says, I found the program of AA in February of 2015. While seeking treatment at a local treatment center, the Serenity House in Abilene, Texas, which is where I currently live. I stayed sober for about two years or so, and then I relapsed. I thought I could drink again like a normal person. And then there's a big emoji, smiley face with tears coming out the eyes like that, that, that's a joke. And she says, and I was out of the program until September of 2019. I picked up a new desire chip on 9-25-2019, September of 2019. And I have been sober since. So I just came upon 11 months. In fact, we went back and forth on that. I'm saying, I think that's 13 months. And uh, that, that's right. That's actually 13 months. She says, every day I am more thankful to be an alcoholic and to have found AA. I have worked the steps and I have a sponsor. I do service work and I was taking a meeting to the woman here in jail at Taylor County until COVID hit. And I'm praying every day soon that that activity will pick back up again. And she says, I in all capital letters, love, love, love your podcast. Big old heart emoji. She said, I recently came across it. So I started from your very first episode and I'm currently on number 15. Wow. You've got a lot of listening to do, and I, but I thank you for going back and listening to all those. And then she says, thank you for your dedication to the podcast and to alcoholics. Well, thank you, Casey. We're all in this together, my friend. And then she says, this podcast has been a great way for me to go through my workday. I'm a senior tech claims processor at such and such company and am currently working from home so many days 
and I sit here on a computer listening to your podcast. Thanks again. Maybe one day I can make it to your way up there in Dallas. I bet DFW has some great meeting halls. Have a good day. Take care, Casey S. Well, thank you, Casey. And if you do get up here, let me know, and uh, I'm sure I can direct you to some uh, uh, good meetings, including uh, our uh, our trailer uh, in uh, uh, the Frisco group, uh, nonetheless. Austin writes in, and Austin says, John, I work in marketing for a nonprofit group in Arkansas. It's about a 45 commute, but we have been working from home most days recently because of the pandemic. We've also transitioned to virtual programming, so our events have been held via Zoom in the afternoons and weekends. A member of my AA group in Conway, Arkansas, Conway, Arkansas, recommended the podcast back in July or so. Bill C. and Vinoy S. have been my favorites recently. Thank you, Austin. Well, thank you, Austin, for writing in and tell everybody up there and Conway that we said hello. Don writes in, he says, John, I am in the secret Facebook group. We had some issues getting Don in. It's a long story, but we got him in there. And so he says, I'm so happy I can't see straight. <laughs> you're, well, you're welcome, Don. He says, thank you. Appreciate your holding my hand as I found this uh, Facebook group. I'm normally not that futeless with technology that was hard futless futeless i i think that may be a uh a typo unless i just don't know unless my um public high school education does not know what futeless means f-u-t-l-e-s-s nonetheless he says i so appreciate the podcast i'm an aca for those of you who don't know that's adult children of alcoholics but i find your podcast hugely relevant I've been sober for just short of a year. It wasn't hard when I made the choice. I am here to stay. Thanks for leaving the door open for me, Don. Well, Don, you're welcome. I'm glad we finally got you in that uh, Facebook group and uh, glad you're along for the ride. Erin writes in and she says, John, I live in California and I am new to sobriety, 9-8 of 20, September 8th of 2020. I came across your podcast on Spotify and have just begun listening to select episodes, mostly on steps one through three. Well, we have a lot of those, as you know. She says, I feel as though I have been able to relate to the guests, especially Gary Kay on episode 91. Thank you for your service, and I look forward to continue to listening to your, to your show between meetings. Smiley face. Best regards, Aaron. Well, congratulations on your early sobriety there, Aaron. Keep us posted, and I'm glad that we on this podcast can be part of your journey. Eric! Writes in, Eric says, hi, John M. I am a grateful Al-Anon mender, uh, excuse me. I'm a grateful Al-Anon member. Sometimes, you know, your, your tongue starts to get tied, folks, when, when you uh, uh, go through several of these uh, and uh, it's not as easy as it looks. You would think to yourself, come on, man, can't you just read stuff? But uh, sometimes it's not easy. Anyway, he says, hi, John, I am a grateful Al-Anon member and a regular listener of Sober Speak. 
the experience, strength, and hope that you bring with your guests and listeners is fantastic and much appreciated. There's something about it, listening to recovering alcoholics, that is very powerful. And the authenticity and directness, perhaps, and that is really refreshing. My four-year anniversary in Al-Anon is coming up in November. The relationship with my qualifier has ended, but I am, quote, indelibly marked, unquote, as I say, and now locked into a 12-step way of life. Like many Al-Anoners, I came to Al-Anon to learn how to fix my alcoholic, and now I know I can only fix myself, and that is far from easy and far from done. I need lots of help from my higher power. I went to a few open AA meetings as a way to learn the program so that I could teach my alcoholic, again, a fail. But I also got some help in those meetings with our Tradition 5 to help by encouraging and understanding our alcoholic relatives. I don't recall how I heard about Sober Speak. I started with Spencer's podcast, There's Spencer again, and he may have tipped me off. In the thick of my divorce, I needed, in big capital letters, lots of program. To me, good recovery is good recovery, and it doesn't matter whether it's AA or Al-Anon. Very well said there. Eric. Um, I, I, I lost my place. He says, in some ways, I, I, in some ways, I appreciate the AA world. There seems to be less BS and whining in AA than in many Al-Anon groups. So I continue to listen to Sober Speak because your guests have so much wisdom to share. And I often take that back to my groups. Just tonight in my men's meeting, I share, quote, if you spot it, you got it, unquote. This is something I picked up from your show uh, or recovered. I don't know which, but that slogan is an example of the hard-hitting wisdom that some of the pussyfooting Allen honors won't get on their own. <laughs> all right, Eric. And then he says, thanks for all you do and keep up the good work ODAT, O-D-A-T. It's actually, I think it's O-D-A-A-T, but one day at a time, I get it. Eric S. P.S. Feel free to read this on the air if you are so moved. Well, guess what, Mr. Eric? I was so moved, and I thank you so much for the feedback. I know you guys have so much better things to do with your time during the day than be sending me email or or so many things you could be doing with your time. I should say it like that. And the fact that you take time out of your day and send me an email is so appreciated. Finally, Robert DMs me on Instagram and he says, hello, John. Thank you again for the podcast. I don't know what, why all, but I'm finding it difficult at the moment. After a few solid months of sobriety, I've picked up again. It's only one or two days at this time, but that's enough to damage everything I've worked for and trust that I've built up. I found your podcast to be a friend during the long, dark nights that I've been withdrawing and struggling. I'll continue to listen and draw upon your strength. Isn't it a wonderful world where you 
can talk into a microphone in Texas, USA, and bring comfort to me in the north of the United Kingdom, one tiny ocean away, Robert. Robert, this world and this organization and our society is full of people that started and for whatever reason slipped. And I am one of those. It took me three years in and out myself, my friend. And I appreciate you writing in. I appreciate you being vulnerable. And if you're out there in this great big world and you can put up a little prayer for Robert, we all would appreciate it. All right, everybody. Now, I'm going to wrap it up. First of all, let me say this. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. And we're taking this one week at a time. I will probably be back next week. Like I always say, one week at a time. Now, for a little bit of music from our our friend, Jacob, uh, to end up the episode here. Enjoy. into a room I'm a hopeless case Oh, I try to But I can't look away I see how far this could go But I bet in the end With my luck I'd only lose your love I'll stop before I start Cause you Too good.